So, Cam, when did you first become interested in aviation? Uh, all my life. Ever since we were a kid, uh, I was attracted to anything that had an airplane in it, whether it was a, a movie or a cartoon. Uh, you know, it's just one of those things that uh, that is instinctual, I think, for most people, and certainly it was for me. Uh, but as the years wore on through the teenage years, uh, it just continued to uh, to grow on me until, you know, one day, uh, cold, wintry day, 1978, a fellow uh, bartender at TGI Fridays back then. Wow. It was only Fridays um, in Texas. Um, he decided, uh, you know, he got his pilot's license. He asked me if I want to go on an airplane ride. I couldn't believe it that he's talking about a real airplane. I didn't know anything about how all of that worked. And took me to a local airport on a cold, wintry day. Scared the kabujis out of me. And when we landed 30 minutes later, I said, this is it. This is what I want to do for the rest of my life. So, yeah, did you always want to become a, like an airline pilot uh, rather than a military pilot? Yeah, well, uh, uh, that was always uh, the, the dream. Uh, you know, but it was so far fetched back in the you know 70s and the 80s, uh, you know, at least this the 70s when you know, I was growing up and thinking about the field. Uh, there was really not that much, uh, that many opportunities. Uh, most of the airlines were not, you know, hiring when they were hiring. It was just few people. It was 1978 that when deregulation hit that, uh, you know, airlines for the first time started uh, charging whatever they wanted to do, start flying to markets so that they wanted to do. So the regulation was wonderful for a lot of airlines and then catastrophic for others. You know, Braniff and Eastern and Pan Am, they all went out of business while others, American Airlines, Delta, you know, United grew. And uh, so that, that the, the, so it, it wasn't until then that I realized that this is a possibility, that I, this is something that I can do, uh, you know. And when the opportunity came, you know, I went running. Yeah, so let's get into the nitty-gritty of things. Um, how how did you get start becoming an airline pilot? Because obviously it's a very expensive uh, like process. So how did you get into it? Uh, it's not as expensive and as difficult as you would think it is. Uh, not in the United States. You know, it is expensive. Absolutely, it's expensive. But then again, it is. So is going to college. You know, doing a, you know a lot of things that that one does. Uh, especially today when, uh, you know, there's all kinds of opportunities in, in financing and, and what the airlines are paying it with the pilot shortage, what they're able to do uh, to try and get more and more people into aviation. But back in the 1970s, late 70s and, and early 80s, uh, you know, there was just two ways to do it. It was, you know, the military or general aviation. And I chose general aviation. And back then it was just uh, simply, you know, getting your licenses. There's a series of licenses to get. Um, you know, and, and, you know, about eight or 10 of them, you know, teaching flying for a while, teaching anything that had to do with flying for a while. And then essentially working your way into, you know, the, the higher up, bigger airplanes, you know, more engines, uh, jet type aircraft. And, uh, and, and that was the, the, the other way to do that. And that's what I chose. So uh, for me, uh, you know, I got, I got all of my licenses. I taught flying for, you know, about a year opportunity came to go get a job somewhere else in Michigan and then on to Texas and you essentially got up and you went wherever the opportunity was you know wherever somebody lets you fly a bigger plane and paid you for it uh, or a more complicated airplane or one with more engines or anything like that so I just essentially went around the country and got 
you know, got my uh, got to fly bigger and bigger airplanes and, uh, and more complex machines. And um, by by the time I got into the jets, the Learjet, and, and upgraded to a captain in a Learjet, that was 1983 or something like that. Um, uh, now you were qualified to be an airline pilot. So, and it also happened to be when when the airlines were you know had started to hiring the regulation had finally uh, you know taken its course. In, and some airlines were expanding pretty rapidly. American Airlines was one of them. And so I went through the interview process, and uh, you know, there we were. Cam, can you tell us the process of becoming an airline pilot? Well, in the United States, it, it's uh, it's a pretty simple process, really. It's just, uh, you know, you get your licenses. You you know, uh, if you're going through the military, that's a whole different thing. But uh, but there's, there's fewer and fewer people going through the military. The military is... Uh, you know, not hiring as many, you know, uh, training uh, as many pilots, to, you know, with the drones and with everything else that's going on. Uh, so that's becoming a lesser, uh, uh, you know, less traveled route for the, for a lot of the pilots. But uh, if you're going up the general aviation route, you just get your licenses. And, uh, you know, today it's very different than it was 35, 40 years ago. Um, you know, uh, you, there are schools that you can go to. And uh, you can get you can get your licenses one after the next. They'll finance everything. They'll train you from from very beginning to the very end. They'll help you get your first job, and very quickly you can get a job in, in a commuter, for example. Mm. And commuter is essentially training grounds at this point. You know, not many pilots want to go into a commuter and, and make that a career, but they go there and they get their time. They move them from the right seat, the co-pilot seat, into the left seat, the captain seat. And it's a matter of time. With the pilot shortage the way it is right now, um, it, it's pretty incredible. Um, they've talked about it for 40 years, even longer than that, uh, but now it's absolutely true. It's coming you know, to fruition. And you can see it. So we're given that, you know, it's just a matter of time before somebody's generally picked up. You know, a lot of the airlines have, have reduced or eliminated some of the requirements that they had, whether it was height or weight or sight, four-year degrees, et cetera. Um, so it's a great time. If somebody, you know, has that desire, that, you know, that want to want to be an airline pilot, uh, this is a great time to be doing it. And it's not for everybody, having said that. I just want to point that out. It's not a life for everyone that's out there. You know, it, it sounds exciting and glamorous, and to a certain extent it is, um, but it's also a hard life. You know, you're not coming home for dinner every night. You know, you're not going to, when you have a wife and kids and whatever, you will miss events. You're all going to see sunrises far more than you want to, um, you know, and, and time zones, et cetera, et cetera. So there's hardship to go through. And not to mention that you probably will not live where you want to live because you got to go where the you know, airline has bases. But having said all of that, you know, if somebody's willing to plow through that and, and have that desire to still want to be an airline pilot, uh, it's a great field, and it's one that I would not have changed for the world. When you were going through your like kind of like your basic training, as it were, like did you get uh, get put with one instructor, or were you in changing right there? Uh, so again, when I did it, it was a question of finances, you know. So you you flew when you had enough money, and you flew with whoever you had to, wherever you had to. It was not an organized effort; it was just really winging it and doing the best that you could. It's very different now. Uh, you can go in and, and a brand new guy who's never been in an airplane can, can pick you know, an aviation college, Embry-Riddle, for example, and go in there and, and they'll, they'll 
help you with a four-year degree. And while you're doing that, they'll make sure they'll take you through all of your ratings and all of your, uh, you know, licenses and everything. So by the time you graduate, you know, in your four-year degree, you also have all of your pilot's licenses. And you can just jump in and get a job. Uh, in that case, it's far more organized. Today, it's far more organized. So if you have the means, if you have the money, uh, you know, and the time and the dedication, yeah, you can be, it, it is very organized. But if you don't, as was the case for me in the 70s and the 80s, you know, you used tip money to learn how to fly. So when you had enough money to get the next hour of flying, you did, you know, and uh, it, it was quite a bit different. And you mentioned the Learjet there, like what a classic aeroplane. What was it like to fly, Cam? It's uh, it's the closest thing. A Learjet, to me, was the closest thing that it came to uh, a fighter pilot position. Um, the earlier uh, Lear models, uh, the 23 model series, uh, was the very first uh, Lear series, I believe it was. And uh, it's, a, it's a rocket ship. It's a fast, fast airplane. Um, you know, and it's a small airplane. It was a very unstable airplane. I flew Bill Lear's, uh, very, the plane that he flew. And, and it had so many afterthoughts in it, so many switches that they had added on to it for, you know, to create stability, et cetera. Right. Uh, and then the, the later uh, models uh, became, you know, a lot better, a lot, uh, yeah, you know, uh, somewhat easier, but uh, there were far better superior machines. But they were always very fast. They go up very high, very quick, you know, and, and they use a lot of fuel. So fuel management was always a big, big concern here, uh, you know, especially in the earlier series. You know, when, when we flew a lot of cargo, we flew, you know, middle of the night stuff, you know, where it was up to the pilots themselves to kind of figure out, uh, you know, your flight plans, weather, you know, et cetera. And if something went wrong, it was up to you to figure it out. Not like airlines where you have multiple departments and dispatch and others that are going to help you figure all that out. It was up to the pilot. They figured everything out. So in flying in a Learjet, you know, uh, managing all of that, making sure that if something goes wrong, you have an alternative because you just don't have that much gas in those earlier series. Uh, so most of the fuel in the Learjets are in the tip tanks. And so you can see if there was a, um, uh, you know, back then, at least in the earlier series again, you know, if there was a, a fuel issue and one of the tanks emptied and the other one stayed full, you know, you, you would have a problem because the fuel is at the very edge of your tanks. Um, you know, uh, but uh, and another thing about those tanks is, uh, you know, in some of the places that I worked at, we had to fuel our own airplanes. You know, the flying was done at the morning. And, uh, you know, it was, I was you know, working for an outfit in Kenosha, Wisconsin, Wisconsin in the middle of the winter. Um, that's, that gets pretty cold. So you're out there, we'd pull up a car right to the wingtip. One of the pilots would jump out and then start the fueling process, be freezing his Butt off doesn't matter <laughs> how many layers of clothes you were, and uh, you'd change every minute or so. He'd jump back in the car, and the other guy would go out and do the next, you know, 100 gallons or something. And we did that, and that was the thing. But yes, um, you know, it's a very distinctive mark of a Learjet is the is the uh, the wing tip, the tip tanks that are out there. And was it a two man crew at the time? All jets are two-man crews. In fact, uh, no jet in the United States, I, I can't imagine it's different anywhere else. Um, there is no jet that can be flown with, with one pilot. Right. Um, the right. exception to that was the very earliest uh, Cessna Citation model, uh, I believe, and that was a long time ago. Uh, 
But if it's a jet aircraft, or I believe the law, the, the rule at that point was 12,500 pounds. If the gross weight is to over 12,500 pounds, then it has to have two pilots. Something like that. I'm just kind of reaching in my memory here. But yeah, um, and, and major airlines too. Major airlines were always three pilots. They had a flight engineer, that seat, and that panel has been removed. It's now just two pilots. They might take three or four with them, depending on the length of the flight, like we did LA to London flights. Um, but it's a minimum of two at any given time. And if I'm correct in saying you were a flight engineer, was it on the DC-9 and DC-10? Like, what was that like? So DC-9 was not, did not have a flight engineer. A DC-10 okay. did. And the 727s did. And, you know, L-1011s, a whole series of airplanes before that, 707s. Uh, what was it like? Um, about 80 or 90% of the people who worked that panel were actual pilots. And then that was just a process that they went through. Right. Uh, and you started in that seat, then you worked your way from the third seat into the second seat, which is the right side, okay, a co-pilot, and then moved on to the left seat, the captain. Uh, about 10 or 15% of these guys were professional flight engineers. These are guys that were not pilots. They were systems people. A lot of them had um, a mechanic background, A&P background. And, um, you know, because you didn't really are not flying. You're not touching the controls. You're there managing systems. And, uh, but again, with automation and with the latest, uh, you know, the, the aircraft that are out there, it's just that, that that seat is no longer needed. Uh, it's as close to a Learjet as you can get oh. in the airline world. Uh, it's a hot rod, uh, especially depending on the, uh, the engines that you have. Uh, American Airlines had Rolls-Royce engines on their 757s. Uh, others have had, and I think it's General Electric, et cetera. Uh, the ones we had were just, uh, they were rocket ships, you know, and, and it's, it's just an awesome airplane. I mean, any, everything Boeing is just, it's just a great airplane, you know, but if you want to top that off, I mean, you go back to the 777. 777, that's, that's the, uh, that's, that's the rock star of, of the airline business. Uh, I know of no person who has flown the 777. By the time you fly the 777, you've flown everything else because it's the biggest one that's out there. Um, other than Airbus A380, of course, which I think they've stopped making now. Um, but the 777, by the time you get there, you have plenty of experience. And I know of no one, uh, personally, I know of no one who says they would fly anything other than that. I Absolutely. mean, it, it, it's a cruise ship. So at, at uh, all airlines, you know, it's simply a game of seniority. Uh, your seniority is is a number that you carry. It's given to you the day you are hired, and uh, you know it changes as people retire above you. But the guy above you will be above you, you know, one number above you for the rest of your career. The guy below you will be one number below you until you know somebody retires. Uh, so when your seniority allows, you know, uh, if you choose, and, and some people choose not to do it, but most people want to fly bigger airplanes, go further, and do. You know, make more money, uh, and, and so that's that's how it's done. It's a game of seniority. For me, I stayed back a little longer than most because uh, I, I really enjoyed seniority. So, in other words, you know, if I'm on, let's say, uh, you know, a, a 757, 767, you know, and and I'm I've become more and more senior. Uh, now I have the opportunity to become going a triple seven, but be very junior. You know, uh, I may choose to just stay where I am. 
because I want the better schedules. I want. I don't want to fly up. I, you know, all nighters. I don't want to, uh, you know, uh, commute or you know, a series of other things. Uh, so I may choose to be a senior guy and stay on the old airplane, or I might be ambitious and and, and want to go out there and and rip roar through the whole thing. You know, in that case, I'll just go on the first opportunity I get. I'll go on the next airplane, the next size, next seat, whatever it is. Uh, and then uh, once you get, you know, you get to that point, once you're, uh, so let's say you are in a 757 and you choose to go to a 777, your seniority allows it. They put in, you know, computer bids once, you know, every, every two or three months and uh, you, you get that bid. Now a training is assigned to you. And airline pilots uh, in, in the United States, anyhow, you can only fly one type of aircraft at a given time. I used to be able to fly multiple times, but right now it's just one type. In other words, I'm a 757 captain until the day I go into school. Then I am no longer a 757 captain. I'm a 777 captain who is not, um, uh, you know, who's not qualified yet, who has to go through the entire training process. And then uh, once you go through the training process, and then that's your seat, and that's where you're going to be until you make another change. And, uh, you know, then the, the, there is a training, of course, you know, the training for uh, at us for American Airlines. I'm sure most airlines are not that dissimilar. Uh, it's around uh, 30, 35 days. You go in, you spend two weeks in what they call ground school uh, and you, where you sit down in class and you study systems. And, uh, you know, and then they have cockpit procedure trainers, uh, CPTs, they call them. Uh, so you sit there and then it's still it's a. Uh, you know, layout of the cockpit with actual, uh, you know, instruments and, you know, you turn on a light switch, the appropriate lights come on and then things happen. But it's just really just just a piece of machine sitting in a classroom and has no other function. Uh, so when that's done, that portion of it is done, you go through your, uh, you know, what they call the oral. And that's a test. It's a uh, Federal Aviation Administration required test. You have to pass that, you know, uh, and as soon as that's done, now you're ready for phase two. Phase two is always simulator training. Now, simulators, you know, we use three axis, you know, uh, uh, simulators that, that American has and, and almost all airlines do. And that's where uh, the, the, the feel, everything that you do, you walk into, it's still, you know, nailed to the ground, you know, but it's a big room, big box that is sitting on a series of, you know, hydraulic lifts. Mm. that are designed to take you in, you know, make you feel exactly as you would, uh, you know, in, in the cockpit. And they're designed to create an environment that is very, very similar to the cockpit. And so you walk in, even though you're on the ground, you're sitting on the third floor of some building somewhere, uh, you walk in, you're exactly in the cockpit of that airplane. In fact, the training is so similar to the airplanes uh, that the very first time that you fly an airplane with, you know, with passengers on uh, that, that you touch the controls of an airplane is, is when you're, you know, with passengers. You don't ever take an airplane out and fly it around and feel it. You know, the training is so precise that when I get there and, you know, for the first time I touch the real controls, passengers are right behind me loading up, boarding. <laughs> this better be good. And so you go through two weeks of that, and then that's followed by a check ride. And when those that portion is done, then there's a series of, uh, uh, flights that you have to do depending on the seat and you know and where you're going to fly and there you, there you do that you know in American Airlines with check airmen people that are qualified you know uh, other captains that are qualified that sit in the other seat and they watch you and make sure that you know you go through through that process 
And then once that's done, then, you know, they'll give you the keys, essentially, and you can go out and fly the airplane around. But even after that, there are some restrictions depending on the number of hours you have. So it's a step-up process. you got to go through A to get to B and B before you get to C. And by the time you get to the end of it, uh, you're, you're well qualified to be taking this airplane on and be responsible for it yourself. Mm-hmm. Probably a longer answer than you were expecting, but here we are. <laughs> yeah, absolutely brilliant. But I think our viewers would uh, love to know, myself included, what's a typical day for a, a 777 uh, first officer or captain? How does that like play out for you? The thing about a 777 is, is it's a big airplane designed to go far distance. This is not something that you take from San Francisco to L.A., you know, unless you're trying to reposition the plane or something like that. So the old saying was every time you strapped a 777 to your butt, you know, you went through a minimum of eight time zones. Mm-hmm. So what's a typical day like? It's long, you know, and, and you, uh, you know, a typical uh, flight for us, you know, for me, the L.A. London was the shortest flight that we did. Uh, you know, other than occasionally did some domestic, but. Uh, the shortest flight, and that's about 10 and a half hours one way, you know, 11 and a half coming back. Uh, but there were most of our flights were longer than that. So the Far East, uh, you know, Deep South, you know, South America, et cetera, were, were significantly further than that. It's a long day. And so depending on uh, how long it is, you know, the flights up to eight hours, essentially, they just take two pilots. Eight to 12 hours, they take one extra guy. And over 12 hours, they take two extra guys. Mm-hmm. You know, you'll be three or four of you in the cockpit, and you know you take off. Um, the most junior guy, most of the time, you know he goes back for his break, and for his break, he's got a room in the back there with a couple of beds and a couple of chairs, depending on the model of the triple seven you're flying. And um, so he'll be there, and then you know, uh, three hours later, four hours later, you know, he'll come back, or the whole new crew will come back, and then you go back mm-hmm. out there. And you hear those engines hum for the next, you know, 10, 15, 20 <laughs> hours. I don't know, 20, but 17 hours. I've done 17 yeah. hour, 10 flights. Delhi to Kennedy. Um, the, it was a long, long flight. Yeah. Uh, what is it like? And by the time you get there, I mean, the, you know, the jet lag does affect you. I, you know, I always told people here, most of the flights to London left L.A. at uh, about 6 in the evening. And so by the time we got there, it was, you know, three or four in the afternoon, but it was five in the morning over here, you know. So just as people are waking up here with a, uh, you know, to get a cup of coffee and a cereal, you know, I had a shish kebab and a beer in my head. Uh, you know, what is it like? It's it's crazy. But overall, did you enjoy, like, long-haul flying sounds, like, as you say, like, glamorous, but did you enjoy it in general? Absolutely. Uh, like I said, it's to be an airline pilot, it's a desire that most people, um, uh, you either have it or you don't. You know, I compare it often to being an actor, you know. You either enjoy being in front of people and acting or you just want to run away and hide in a closet, you know. Um, and, and so it's, uh, I've enjoyed the heck out of it. And I would do it all over again in a minute. Uh, it doesn't take away from the fact that it was hard. You know, and it got harder as, as you age, especially the bigger airplanes. Um, uh, you know, but but it was a it was a great time. I mean, I got to go places. I got to see things, and uh, that that is rare to be able to do that. I was coming to London three times a month, you know, for 
10 years, you know, um, you know, and that's pretty cool to be able to, to come in here and, you know, sit down and have your favorite pub and fish and chips and all, you know, all the stuff you're doing and, uh, you know, and then I come back and, and, and sleep your own bed two nights later. Uh, did you meet any celebrities and how do you interact with them? A great deal of them. Um, we met uh, a lot of them were, were, you know, excellent. And I met them both as uh, flying for American Airlines, uh, as well as before that, when we were doing the Learjets. Flew a lot of, um, a lot of celebrities. Uh, they were great. I mean, if they were with the American Airlines portion, they didn't really interact with them that much. You know, flight attendants would come up and tell you so-and-so is sitting there, usually in first class or business class. Uh, but as a Learjet uh, pilot, I flew a lot of them. You know, and, uh, and they were they were great. You know, uh, you know, uh, there were a couple of exceptions that don't need to be named. You know, <laughs> but uh, uh, for the most part, they were great. I, mean, I flew Charlton Heston and his wife uh, for a number of weeks, and um, uh, you know, and on one of the flights we were going um, somewhere to the east coast, and then Lear, you know, we start taking in smoke. You know, just an oil uh, one of the. Uh, oil uh, lines, you know, broke and, and created smoke. It wasn't a major emergency, but we needed to do something about it. So we, we, we dropped down and landed somewhere. But, you know, we're still in the air and, and the cabin starts to fill up with smoke. And I should have turned around and said something to them. It's only like six or eight seats in the back. But I didn't. I was very occupied with what I had to do. And I felt this tap on my shoulder here, you know, and uh, Cam, uh, you know, turn around, it's Charlton and uh, Cam, uh, is anything wrong? <laughs> you know, I'm like doing this through the smoke. Oh, nothing is wrong, Mr. Heston. You know, we're good. Can go back, sit down. We're gonna go land somewhere. Uh, so that was the case. But uh, one of my favorites was was the the, the Moody Blues, flying the Moody Blues. Wow. Uh, wow. And I used to listen to these guys when I was three years old. You know, when I flew them around a bunch. Um, you know, for their concerts and. Um, you know, and, and uh, you know, the the the, uh, the lead guitarist, I forgot his name, I should, shame on me. Um, he was sitting on his knees in a leer between me and the, uh, the the first officer, all the way up to Northern California someplace. He is amazed by what I do. And I've been listening to him since I was in diapers. So, you know, so I'm like, uh, I'm, you know, flew a lot of celebrities, generally not starstruck at all. But uh, this was an exception, the Moody Blues. So we get over there, and I really want to go see their, um, they want to go see their concert. But of course, this, you know, you're the pilot. How are you going to get up and go see their concert? You know, they've got lemons waiting for them. They go out there, they bring them back. I just blurted it out. I said, I'd love to come see your concert, but I'm sure it's sold out. You know, it's sold out. You know, I have a terrible English accent, so I won't attempt that. But sold out he comes over he grabs this ribbon from around his neck and puts it around mine he says you have a backstage pass for this entire tour the rest of the tour so i'm standing 20 feet away from these guys watching them play white tonight satin and i'm just wow. yeah man that that was that was one of the highlights so what was it like to transition from boeing to airbus obviously the side stick did you find that difficult to adjust to the first day I showed up in class and, uh, you know, the instructor introduced himself to me and he said, what airplane are you from? I said, 10 years in the right seat of a 777. Turned around to me and the first thing out of his mouth, he said, you're going to have the hardest time of anyone who has gone through the school. He said, 
That's good to know. <laughs> you know, let's, let's just lay it on the ground right there. You know, yeah. figure it out. You're not only going from the right seat to the left seat, you know, to the captain's seat. Yeah. You're not only going from, uh, you know, a yoke to a stick. You know, you're going from, you know, a complete different manufacturer of aircraft to a completely different one. You know, it doesn't matter if you float a 757, 67, 777, 87. They all were very similar, same as if you flew the Airbus, 319, 20, 21, you know, uh, the, the, the 350s, the you know, 380s. They're essentially the same thing, just a bigger version of the other one. Mm-hmm. But when you fly from one to the other, you know, it's like, you know, you're going from, you know, you know, riding a mule to driving a Corvette, you know, uh, but there's, there's just completely different things. Um you know, I don't mean either one of them is a mule, but I mean, really, just, just the fact that they're very, very different. Um, but wonderful airplanes, so hard to get used to. Um, yeah. you know, but once you got used to it, very dependable, um, easy to fly, you know, and uh, and fun. And uh, man, that tray is really nice to have, you know, because in a, in a Boeing for the rest of eternity, you're going to be eating on your pants, you know, and, uh, you know, here you put your food on a tray or whatever you want. And it's, it's great. I love them both. I love them both. I'm a, but I'm more of a Boeing fan, as most people are. Uh, just just kind of the way it is, just the way it's been laid out, you know, something about it. But both of them are wonderful airplanes. So how long did you spend on Boeing aircraft and how long did you spend on, uh, yeah, the Airbus aircraft? The Airbus, well, American Airlines didn't have Airbus. They only had the 330 for, for decades, and mm-hmm. it was a yoke thing. It was out of the East Coast mostly, not West Coast where I was at. So American really got into the Airbus action once it merged with, with U.S. Air. And so that wasn't until, uh, you know, later in the game, only maybe, you know, 10, 12 years ago. I got to spend seven years uh, of that 10 or 12 years, so a significant portion of it. Uh, overall, uh, seven years on the Airbus, the other 28 in Boeings and American Airlines. And of course, prior to that, it was just little airplanes, you know, anything that, that had an engine would go up in the air. And somebody would pay me for it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, so before we get into the personal uh, questions here, Cam, did you ever work with any military pilots? And how did you interact on the, uh, you know, on the flight deck? Uh, most of the people who flew with were military. Uh, especially when I first started, um, you know, that was military was where uh, airlines preferred to have their, um, uh, you know, their, their pilots from military was was most selective. And of course, their training was very, very thorough. That wasn't the case in general aviation. How did we interact? Um, you know, they were great. We, we were taught uh, that the guy sitting next to you is really not all that relevant. It is the procedures that are to be followed. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. we both knew what the procedure was. You know, here's the, the verbal command. Here's a response to it. Here's when you do this. Here's when you do that. And if that happens, you do this. As long as all of that was done and, and uniform, standardized, what they called, uh, then it didn't matter who, who the guy was or who he wasn't. And by the time you got through the training with American Airlines, almost everybody, I mean, everybody was standardized. Uh, everybody knew what they have to do at what kind of time and what kind of information. And uh, so it didn't make much of a difference. Um, you know, and, and in terms of guys, they're, they're all good guys. I mean, you get along with some people better than you get along with some others. 
you know, there were occasional time when it was a very quiet cockpit, but most of the time really was, was fun and enjoyable. Mm-hmm. That's the same as anybody. You could go into any office and, you know, and see who's gathered around the water cooler and who's talking to who and, you know, who's not talking to. Um, so similar, similar to that. But uh, all great pilots. They may have come to American Airlines with different backgrounds, but once you got in there, and I'm sure it's the same for the airlines as well, you know, Delta, United, Southwest, et cetera. Uh, but once you got there and you got through the school, you got through the process, uh, it really was was the same. You were no longer, you know, uh, separated by, you know, your background. You did what you did and you did it, you know, the way you're supposed to. And one more question, actually, I just thought of. Is it actually true chicken or fish for the first officer and captain? Is that, is that actually true? Yeah, it was actually chicken or steak. Oh, uh, right. <laughs> you know, and and see, 30 or 40 years ago when we didn't know any better uh you know the senior captains always took the steak and the junior guys always got the chicken so the old <laughs> uh, the old thing for these guys was you know okay the first 20 years of my life i got the chicken because that's all i had to eat the second 20 years when i had the choice i'm the senior guy now i got the chicken because uh i know that's better for you so it's my whole <laughs> career i ate chicken so, you know, chicken or steak, pick, take a pick. Cam, you're also an author. Uh, let's talk about your book, uh, High Wire. How did this come about and when did you start writing it? I started writing it 20 years ago. In fact, uh, that was the original version that came out through Bantam and, you know, currently Random House. Well, it's updated now with the information today, very appropriate for today's environment. It's been written, like I said, updated. And it's essentially a story of Flight 394 in this last few minutes of, uh, you know, the book starts in the last few minutes before landing in at New York Kennedy Airport in a blizzard. And uh, when the aircraft stops responding to the, to the captain's command, Captain Kate Gallagher, a woman, uh, decides to purposefully crash the plane. And um, and in that crash, six people die. And she's blamed for, you know, the fact that she's a woman, the fact that she's not, uh, you know, confident. Maybe she was hired to fill a quota, et cetera, et cetera. And all through, no one understands, no one realizes that it was a computer virus that had affected the computers, the, the electronics in the computers of the, of the aircraft. And had she not crashed it at the moment she did, and as you continue to go, the aircraft would have taken or would have would have climbed, would have been over New York City and would have crashed there, which would be, you know, beyond catastrophic. Mm-hmm. And so she has to spend her time through the book trying to prove herself while she's blamed for what has happened, you know, and, and, and humiliated for not being sully. And, uh, you know, until she ends up uh, coming face to face with the guy who created the virus. And there she learns that there was another aircraft that's contaminated halfway over the Atlantic. And it turns out through her background and the situation she is in, she is their only hope. And now in the view of the whole world, she has to go out there and try and save them. Uh, But she's gonna run out of fuel once she does that. And she probably has to give up her life in order to be able to do that. Wow, it sounds like there's a movie in there, Cam. There is being shot around as we speak. (laughs) <laughs> Great stuff. So where can we find your books and yourself online? Uh, the book is everywhere. Uh, you know, Amazon, uh, you know, Bars and Noble, any of the portals that are out there. It's in 
uh, hardback, paperback, audiobook, uh, ebooks, etc. Uh, for as far as me, you know, just kmmaj.com. Uh, just kmmajd.com, and that's my website. I update it with uh, you know uh, media events that occur with. Uh, you know, any any kind of an event that that's related to this first book, and the next one, Silent Voices, that's the next one's coming out shortly, and so that's a place to take a look for it. Brilliant stuff there, Cam. But I've got a few personal questions while we wrap up this uh, interview. So, do you have any hobbies? Well, writing is now taking over most of what was once hobbies. Uh, I. You know, I'm like most people. I dabble on a few things here. I love skiing. You know, done martial arts for many, many years. Um, you know, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Love movies, you know, and uh, got to have a movie once a week. Got pretty tough during COVID. Oh, you yeah. know, <laughs> able to, to see them, um, you know, and so they're not always quality movies because you don't get a quality movie coming out every week. But no, no. <laughs> we will... Uh, yeah, I enjoy that kind of movies. Anything with the word star in it or an airplane in it or anything like that, I'm, I'm the first one in. Yeah, so like, what do you think about Top Gun 2 or Top Gun Maverick? Oh, I thought it was great. I, it was, I wasn't, wasn't it? yeah, I wasn't a huge fan of the first one. I mean, it was a little bit more cliche ish than the first one, I thought. But the second one was entertaining as hell. Um, uh, the, the, the flying, of course, is always amazing, you know, and uh, but the story, the storyline drew me in. You know, on the first one, the storyline did not draw me in, you know, and, and it's difficult to say, OK, you know, America has got, you know, these aircraft carriers that are going in against, you know, somebody in the Middle East that's going to come in and try and fight. It just wasn't real to me. Yeah, it was yeah. cartoonish on the first one. Uh, but the second one, it was it was very real. Uh, it felt real. And again, I, I got drawn in. I'm, I'm into character-driven stories. I need to be, you know, it's all CGI and all of that. It doesn't do a whole lot for me. Yeah. Uh, but it, yeah. fantastic. I, I, I thought it was great. And and Tom Cruise is, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, I, mean, I started studying a little bit more of some of what he does, his own crazy stunts and all that. I mean, that guy deserves some respect. Absolutely. Uh, this could be a difficult one or an easy one for you, Cam. Favorite aircraft you have flown? Favorite aircraft? It's triple seven. It's it's you gotta. It, there's no question about it. Like I was telling you earlier, I think nine out of ten people who have flown triple seven, they're gonna say it's a triple seven. Uh, it is. It's it's beautiful. You know, it is massive. It is. Uh, you can't screw up a landing on it. It has so many wheels. You know, something is gonna touch the <laughs> ground first. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know. Um, uh, it's just about as comfortable as it gets. It's fast, it flies, you know, uh, high, uh, the rides are smooth, um, the bunk beds are great, triple seven hands down. One you would like to fly, either past or present? Uh, you know, I don't really much care, as long as I get to be at destination more than 22 hours. You know, that's most of the time when we went somewhere, you know, you're only there for a day, you know, and and regardless of whether you're ready or not, uh, you know, you know you, you've got to come back. Now I'm just enjoying going, you know, like I'm going to London here now, and then I'm going to stay in that area for three weeks. I don't have to worry about, you know, being heavy headed and, and busy and trying to come back here with time zone changes. Um, so just just. Uh, doesn't much matter. Bigger airplanes are always favorite. 
um, you know, of course, this you know, further you got to go. But, uh, you know, the, the rides are more comfortable and, you know, and so I'm, I'm a fan of those. But I'd like to go there and, and spend some time. It turns out that uh, I like traveling, you know, after all of this. Absolutely. So uh, are you on social media like or on Instagram or uh, uh, yeah, Twitter or anything like that, uh, Cam? Yeah, all of that. Cam Mize Books or at, you know, Cam Mize Books. I'm not uh, massively educated on that. So there are people far better than me that are doing all of that for me, thankfully. Uh, but yes, Instagram, uh, you know, Facebook, uh, all of it, TikTok, etc. Yeah. And we'll link everything uh, Cam's mentioned in the description below. But Cam, thank you very much for coming on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure uh, to talk about your flying career. Thank you very much for having me, Mike. I've enjoyed it. Cheers. Cheers.